Well, <clears throat> a week or so ago, they invited me. They'd heard of my, well, they've heard about my prowess as joke telling. And I got invited to a nursing home to do some stand up. And uh, they said, just come and entertain folks for a while. Can you do that? I said, oh, you know, absolutely. And so I went out and I took some of my best material. And I went out and I told jokes and I told stories and I, and I finished with this one. I don't know if you, if you've heard, it's, it's happening out in Tulsa, but 1972, this guy was in the Congo in Africa and he sees this elephant and the elephant's got his paw up and he's trumpet. Is that what it, I never could get an answer. Is it a foot, a paw? What do you call an elephant? Nobody knows. It's a, okay. He had his foot up and, um, the guy's like, what do I do? This animal's huge and he's trumpeting and he kept the look, the elephant's just looking right at him. The guy said, well, I'm going to take a chance. So he went over and the elephant's got a big old stick in his paw and he rips that stick out and the elephant wraps his trunk around him and hugs him and, and, uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful story. 2022, Tulsa. This guy's at the zoo and he sees this elephant. And he's like, could it be? Yeah, it was 50 years ago. Could this really be the elephant? Because as he walked by, the elephant's trumpeting. The elephant keeps looking at him. He's like, 50 years have gone by in Congo to Tulsa. And the guy's blown away. So the guy climbs over the fence and he gets in with the elephant. And the elephant wraps his trunk around the man and throws him against the screen and kills him. It wasn't the same elephant. <laughs> so on my way out of the nursing home, I walked over to this sweet lady and I hugged her and I said, well, sweetheart, you get, you get better soon. And she said, you too. <laughs> All right. I need no notes for this. Okay. We're in Acts chapter 15 today. Get your Bibles out. Um, <clears throat> this, <clears throat> we're going to look at two verses today. Acts 15, verses 19 and 20. Acts 15, 19 is the theme verse for this church. We picked this 29 years ago, and this is what we've lived by. And this is how we rewrote it. I'll tell you what it says, but we rewrote it to say that Tomoka Christian Church exists to make it hard for people to go to hell from our generation. Whatever we have to do, if that's feeding people, if that's buying a radio station, if that's building a medical clinic, if that's training and equipping and sending out our people, if it's reaching out locally, whatever we have to do, the church of Jesus has but one mission. And most churches will spend weeks, months, years trying to come up with a mission statement. Here's the deal. The church does not have a mission statement. The mission has a church. Jesus gave us the mission, didn't he? Go into all the world, make disciples. Jesus gave us the mission. The church is the vehicle for a church to sit around and say, gosh, I wonder what our mission should be. No, it's pretty simple. We exist to make it hard to go to hell. Now look, that means we got to deal with tough stuff. That means I got to teach you the stuff that is 
true and I got to teach you what is out there that is false. And we live in an age where we talked about a few weeks ago, less than 40% of American pastors believe in the Bible. That's a frightening statistic. How many of you here believe the Bible is the word of God? All right. How many of you are willing to hear some very hard things, even if it's true? All right. A lot of people aren't. A lot of people aren't willing to hear the hard stuff. Proverbs 16, 18. I want this one just to sit in for you. All right. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I'll let you just think about those words for a minute. We live in a culture that's decided there's no God. And I can handle that. That's not unusual. What's frightening to me is when the church does not have respect for God, the church does not have awe for God, the church tries to change the word of God when the Bible is very, very clear on so many topics. And really, this all started back in the 19th century when they started undermining the word of God. And you've got the, the Methodist, the, the Lutheran, the Episcopalian. In fact, every major denomination has split over the issue, is the Bible the word of God? But that's not really what they split about. It's stuff that they want to hang on to that they don't believe. Okay? For instance, this issue about Pride Week. All right? And we're going to talk about this. They're just going to put it out there. All right? So you want to email me? I'll allow your emails this week. All right? We'll talk about it. I'll be happy to dialogue after you read the Bible. All right? Read Genesis 18, Genesis 19. Read Romans 1. Read 1 Corinthians 6 and read Revelation 21 and 22. Now that's a pretty diverse cross-section of scripture. Would you agree with that? That's from one end of the book to the other. I want to focus on 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10. Look at this. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? All right. The wicked will not go to heaven. We're in agreement? Okay. Do not be deceived. Now we're going to, he's going to list the wicked just in case we're not smart enough to figure it out. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That list just took out everybody in this room. In one way or another, you ever been greedy? Yeah. You ever had a, you ever had a lustful thought? Guilty. Okay. So I want you to understand up front where I'm coming from. We're all guilty and only through Jesus can we be saved. Right? Now we're back to our, now we're back to the mission. We exist to make it hard for people to go to hell. But if I tell you that it's okay to keep living that way, then you're going to go to hell and I'll be held responsible. So if we're doing our job, I have to tell you the truth, right? All right. Now, let's just say we pull out one of those items and we say, not only are we going to say that that's okay in the church, but we're going to approve that. And it gets said like this, all right? Same thing. I'll give you two examples, all right? We've been told by some people that the Constitution is a living, breathing document. What they mean by that is we can change it anytime we want. No, 
First Amendment, it's there for a reason. Second Amendment's there for a reason. But that's not the Word of God. That's a big deal, but it's not the ultimate deal. But that same mentality has been rolled into the Word of God, and people say, the Word of God is fluent, and it must be interpreted in the culture in which we live. I have words for that, but I can't share those here at church. That's just not, that's, that's ridiculous. That is insane. It's intellectual suicide. And don't tell me you respect the Bible and then you make a statement like that. Because could 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 be any more specific? Could it? No. The wicked will not enter the kingdom of God. Boom, 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 boom. Now, verse 11 says, and that's what some of you used to be. But you were washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. All right? That's the whole message. So if you're here today, listen, you're thinking, man, I'm guilty on that list. Listen, you're among some of the worst people I've ever known. We're all sinners. Every one of us has broken every one of those commandments. We're all guilty. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved. But let me tell you, when the culture starts celebrating the things that God abhors, when the church starts approving of the things that the Word of God abhors, the church is done. The church is absolutely done. Now here's what Paul says in Romans 1. After he goes through a long list covering the same subjects, he says this. Pay attention to this one. Although the church knew God's righteous decree that those who do these kind of things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but they approve of those who practice them. Guys, the church is supposed to be different. Let me help you here. Do you know why they killed the prophets? They walked around and said, God is love. God loves you just how you are and you can do anything you want. That's not why they killed them. The prophets told the truth. They said, guys, here's what's about to happen if you don't repent. You want to know why the apostles got killed? Because they walked around and said, oh, God, just is all love. No, they challenged people to repent and accept Jesus. For that matter, why do you think they killed Jesus? I, I, I read this article this lady wrote. This is great. She says, she says, listen, I'm not a Christian, but this much I do know about Jesus. If Jesus were here today, he would for sure be wearing a pride pin. And I wanted to write back and say, well, you got the first part right. You don't know anything about Jesus. But I, I, I didn't. I didn't. And then I look at Major League Baseball, and I'm so angry at them. You know I have sort of a love for that game. And I want you to imagine that there are Jewish ball players, because there certainly are. you got Jewish ball players, and we make them wear Nazi swastikas. Think about the insanity of that. That's what we're, that's, that's the hand that's being forced on these Christians that are out there playing ball. What, what has my ball team got to do with this? And it says, even on the St. Louis Cardinals website, it says, because the transgender and gay community should be able to come to a ball game and enjoy it. Can I, let me ask you this question. When can they not come? So let's flash back to 1980. I'm 17 years old, and Mom says, where are you going tonight? I say, Mom, I'm going to the Cardinal game. It's sex night. 
That's how desensitized we've become. It's insane. It's insane, but we're, it's just being poured and poured out. It's been vomited on top of us. And again, I can't do anything about the world. My job is to equip the church and to help you deal with other Christians that aren't being told the truth so you can help them understand what truth is. Now, I'm going to back all this up in just a minute even more than I did. So in Acts 19, 15, 19, well, stand with me, just two verses. <coughs> Let's read these. It's my judgment. Okay, so here's what here's what's going on. So remember Peter. Peter was over on the coast, and the Roman centurion in Acts ten, uh, the Roman centurion had a, was praying and said, "Get Peter." Peter comes up. All of a sudden, Peter realized the Holy Spirit's on these people, and all these Romans get saved. They're not Jews. All right. And then Paul and Barnabas have been up in Turkey and up in Syria and all these Greeks and Turks and all these folks are getting saved. They come back and they're all in Jerusalem and now they're fighting about, can these people even be saved? Can you and I be saved? Is it just for Jewish people? And so they're arguing about, I think they have to be Jews first, and I think this. So this big argument's going on between Peter and Paul and the rest of the, the, the uh, elders there at the church in Jerusalem. James, Jesus' half-brother, all right, this is Mary and Joseph's son. Jesus had a different father. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the ethnic people who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. That's all. You can be seated. All right. So we should not make it difficult. I was listening to a pastor the other day, and he said, oh, my gosh. He said, I, I hate all these baptisms I'm seeing in these churches. He said, it would take me 10 weeks or maybe even months to get somebody with enough knowledge that they would be ready to be baptized. Well, that's interesting because Peter, on the day of Pentecost, just got up and spoke, and the people said, we're sinners, we need a Savior, and accepted Jesus, and 3,000 people were baptized that day. All right, so... You're not very good if it takes you months. So you need to understand that if you need Jesus, you're watching online, you're here, you need Jesus, you accept Jesus. I just know I need a Savior. I understand that God, Jesus was God in the flesh. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. And I want you guys to teach me the rest of it. That's what the church's job is. It's our job to teach you. It's our job to love you. It's our job to be honest with you and say, listen, we're, we're there. We understand where you are. We've been there. We're still fighting our way out of that. But we found the hope that Jesus offers. That's what James says to the group. He said, why in the world would we impose all kinds of restrictions and education? He said, you, we couldn't keep those rules when we were Jewish. Why would we now impose those on ethnic people? All right, again, I use that word just meaning all the rest of the world. Romans, Greeks, Americans, Peruvians, whatever you are, okay? So, so James says this is not right. 
It should not be difficult. They should be able to come to Jesus as easily as we came to Jesus. We should clear the path so that God can move in people's lives. Sometimes the church makes it so difficult or people make it so difficult. And we say, well, you got to fix this and change that and do that. Listen, when you catch a fish, you do not clean the fish before you catch it. You catch the fish and then you clean it. And so if you need Jesus, he'll do the cleaning. All right? You do the accepting of Jesus. You say, I'm ready. I'm ready to repent of my sins. I'm ready to be baptized. And Jesus will clean you up. Listen, I've been on this journey now for 45 years. And there's still times that there's a whole lot of cleaning has to go on. Can I get an amen from a... Ch- Listen, it's a, it's a forever process. But... You need to accept Jesus first. And again, the fact that the church is arguing, it's like bringing bringing somebody up front and saying, no, I don't think Fred's worthy of Jesus. As if I am? As if you are? No. No, James said, no. This, this message, and he quotes from the Old Testament, and James says, Didn't, doesn't it say in the word of God that he's going to restore the Jewish foundation, and then the whole world is going to hear about the Messiah? See, James does something really unique that messes up a lot of preachers. He quoted scripture. He quoted scripture. And the rest of the group sat there a little bit, and they said, James, we think you're on to something. So this mission... This idea of mission is what drives everything we do. When you look around and go, it seems like things are like, you guys never let up. No, we don't. Because we have a mission. We have a mission. We're on, all right? And we have a job to do. And we have a world to win. And we have a city to win. And God's bringing like 50,000 new people right to us. So we've got so many opportunities to reach this world, and we've got to do everything we can to clear the path so they can find Jesus. Okay? So that's where it starts. All right? Now, the second part, buckle in. The second part is to love diversity. Let me define, please. In Revelation 7, 9... It says there will be people in heaven from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. Do we have that verse? All right. See that? Say it. Where will they be from? Every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. I want to tell you what it doesn't say. Tell you what's not there. Race. Because there's only one race. We come in different shades, but there's only one race. That's why it's not mentioned. Sexual orientation? No, it's not mentioned because it's not a thing. Because regardless of what you do to the outside of your body, no matter what you dress it, surgery, whatever, your DNA will not change. All right? That's just a simple, that's just a simple truth. But at the core of this statement, it's a reminder that Jesus is not exclusionary. In fact, just the opposite. When John had this vision of heaven, he sees the whole world there. And we don't know how many he saw, but he says it was a number that was too many to count. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but this insanity that we're talking about in the church, this is only in America. 
You won't have these kind of conversations in South America or in Africa, not even in Southeast Asia. The church, the church thinks the church in America has lost its mind, which they're right. And that's, so don't think that we're out here by ourselves. The rest of the world knows what the Bible says. And they're like, what are you American churches doing? So there is to be diversity, but that diversity is about all people. Nobody is excluded. All people can be saved. But you don't get to come in and say, well, I'm a murderer and I'm going to keep being a murderer. In fact, we'll make a pen for you. No, no. Hey, I am a man of greed and adultery. Well, great. We have a special section here. Do you understand how crazy that is? And how foreign that is to the whole concept of what Jesus was talking about. So the idea of diversity is about the nations. It's about the ethnic peoples. It's about all languages. It's about all tribes. Yes, and, and again, I always think it's interesting because John is seeing this about 90 AD. Okay, he's on an island uh, in the Aegean Sea, and he sees this vision. What does he see? Does he see American flags? Does he see Russian flags, Ukrainian flags? But he knew just by looking at the crowd that they were from every nation, language, tribe, and tongue. That's crazy. We'll find out, I guess, when we get to heaven. We'll find out what John saw. But this idea that's going around that God just loves everybody. He does love everybody, but he does not love your sin, and he will not tolerate sin. And if your church does, your pastor might, your friends might, but don't think that that will pass when you stand in front of God. Because God calls us all to repentance. And that means to change. Go back to that list in 1 Corinthians 6. Well, I got to repent. I'm greedy. I'm selfish. I'm this. I'm that. Well, all of that's got to be repented of. You cannot celebrate sin and expect to take that into heaven. It simply won't work that way. And then the last part, James said, shouldn't we be excited about this? I love this. He said, shouldn't we rejoice with people who repent? You know, in Luke 15, it's the only time it tells us that the angels celebrate. I mean, they worship God all the time. But it says, every time a sinner repents. By the way, our kids just got home from camp, our high school kids. And I think there was five or six of our teenagers that accepted Christ and were baptized down in Vero Beach. That's awesome. Every time... And I picture it. I picture every time there's a baptism, whether it's here in the baptistry or at the ocean or river, wherever it is, I picture angels gathered around saying, come on, man, you want to see this. You're going to want to see this. And then, then just see them cheering. Now, if the angels are cheering, if that's the one thing that excites heaven, shouldn't that be the mission of the church? Shouldn't that be the only thing that we think about? Let me finish with this story. The tragedy out in Texas. Now there's a whole lot of things wrong with that story. A whole lot of things. But at the core of the story, 21 people died, 19 of them children. It's horrific. What a tragedy. I can't imagine. The parents, I can't, I can't imagine any of it. I really can't. I can't allow myself to go only so deep into that hole. But the mother was interviewed. Did you guys see this interview? 
This mother, unknowingly, even though everybody's, the whole country's furious at her, she unknowingly verbalized what our country's really all about. She said, I don't know why my son did this, but he had his reasons. You know what I wanted to hear her say? I wanted to see a broken mom in tears saying, I am so sorry. I'm so sorry that my son went crazy. Whatever happened to him, I am so sorry and I'm heartbroken for all of you. No, she didn't say that at all. She said, my son had his reasons for killing 19 grade school children. That's the world we live in today. Where even Christians say, well, I have my reasons. No, you don't come to Jesus with your reasons. You come to Jesus with repentance. And so I have the privilege of leading us into communion now. To think about the cross. Jesus took all of this garbage. Everything that was on those lists that I read to you. Jesus took all that onto himself at the cross. And don't think you're going to pick that up and carry it into heaven. Communion is the time when you and I don't say, well, God, I had my reasons. It's the time when we say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Father, as we have these elements now, the bread and the juice, and for those who are at home, whatever they're using, whether it's bread or crackers or coffee or tea or whatever they've got that helps them remember the, the body, Jesus, your body, the blood that was shed. We come to you knowing that we are arrogant, lying, greedy, sinful people, desperately needing a Savior. So, Father, as we take these elements now, may we do it with humility and may we do it with grace. In Jesus' name.